the first answer doesn't have to be the best answer and sometimes it's not and then it's my job to be like okay let's close that chapter and move on to the next thing i'm making essentially our decision when it comes to creative and it's also requiring people to trust me and my guidance and my leadership a lot of that is putting people in positions to succeed whoa just whoa this is an episode to bookmark behold uh fully process come back to uh there is so much goodness inside of this episode this week yeah i think that um we could sit here and of this guest for a little while um it was just full of inspiration and you know we're recording on a monday morning and i think daniel and i are both going into the week much more inspired um after this conversation Yep, and it, it it makes you want to seek out ways to work with today's guest. And uh, we're talking, of course, about Joelle Leon, creative director at T Brand Studios, which is part of the New York Times as their content creator, content creation, and sponsored content group. Um, so, without further ado, let's just get into this week's episode with Joelle Leon. Joelle Leon, uh, welcome to Social Pros. Thank you so much for making time to be on the show and uh, to share. Well, I think we're going to have a really awesome conversation just about the nature of content creation and all of that. But before we get into it, just welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you, um, Daniel. I really appreciate uh, you know you and the team carving out time. So yeah, yeah, let's get to it. Yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit about you know the specific. Uh, uh, role that you're in at the New York Times. You're part of T Brand Studios, which is actually it is part of the New York Times, but it's it's the content creation brand partnerships division. So you're creating custom content, native content, sponsored content, these kinds of things. Uh, so it's it is the New York Times, but it isn't the New York Times at the same time. Um, as kind of talk us through you know that a little bit in some of the work that you've that you do there. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think and and yeah, you framed it up perfectly. I think. Our role at T-Brain is really to uphold the integrity of the New York Times and the right? And so making sure that the content delivers on that, making sure that the content feels very much organic to platform, making sure that content does not interrupt the audience experience. I think something that we do incredibly well, I think in biases aside, I think better than any other publisher in the business. I think our tech and development team, our audience development team, when it comes to like how we target, right? Like there's no third person I'm targeting. Um, like it, this is all data that is collected from New York Times readers, our audience, our listeners. And so it really allows us to 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 create stories that center on the human narrative and the human experience while also making sure like we're aggregating content that feels robust. There's different ways that we do that. My role as um as a creative director, I'd liken to um I liken to like either for for those who are listening, maybe our fans of point guards or like basketball, like, you know, I'm feel very much like a Jason Kidd on, on on the court. Like we are floor generals in that way, you know, Irvin Johnson, if you will. Um, my job is to facilitate the offense. My job is to make sure the people, the place, the people in the in the products and 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 making sure that folks are in the right places in order to do the work, making sure that the work aligns with both a client briefing and also too again the integrity of the times, journalism and individual. And and really organizing those pieces. I think another way to think about that for those who may be like, ew, basketball very much a conductor, recognizing and understanding sheet music, so really understanding and knowing the products, right? We're not playing instruments, sometimes we can, but we're not in this role. 
for 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 this uh, for this example. But my job is to really make sure that everything is in flow. There's a process in place for the creative specifically. Working alongside our strategy teams to make sure that is aligned. Working alongside our sales teams. There's a lot of interdisciplinary work. Um, that's very different than some of the other touch points within um, the T brand infrastructure. So we have our sales team, we have our editorial team, right? We have our design team, of course, you know, program managers, resource managers. My job is really to be in conversation with all these pieces um, for the different products and the different brands we work, we work with and having a very deep knowledge and understanding of the products that the New York Times um, advertising department team specifically through custom offers from audio to um, editorial, right? all these things and products that live in streaming across the different editorial touch points of the time. So it's like having to know a little bit of everything, a lot of some things and just making sure everything is in flow cohesively, right? Um, like we create ecosystems essentially. So it's my job to maintain the order of all those. And it's a pretty wide ranging, I guess, if you think of it as product, it's a pretty wide ranging network of things you offer, right? You, you, you said, you mentioned audio, so that's part of it. You've digital display, obviously the printed New York Times, sometimes there's wrappers on that. Uh, but online too, there's this kind of like, uh, yeah, the digital display and the other targeting. And, and honestly, I think for me, probably some of the best fit for me ads I see on, I see, I see on the New York Times website. Yeah. I, I often feel like that content is, it speaks to me. So Good to know there is some first party data behind that. But like in the most in the least invasive way we're trying to as possible. Like and it's really good to hear that, Daniel. Thank you. Like we I think, you know, it's and it's a conversation we have often, especially when it comes to the newsroom. There's a very clear delineation between church and state. Like literally, you know, won't say too much, but like going into a presentation we have tomorrow with a very prominent, um, prominent client about a special project that's happening in the newsroom and how does our team support that from a custom creative standpoint and right, making sure that the work amplifies the editorial opportunity, it doesn't cannibalize it. Um, and so we have team like our editorial team that works on the advertising side, they come from Essence, they come from Paper Mag, they come from our architecture digest. Like we have like real time folks who are designing, editing the work, who are coming into the work with this, very much this uh, editorial aligned approach to the work. So the things that you're seeing is because we're, we think no different than the newsroom in that way, except, you know, our clients are not necessarily just the audience, but also maybe like million dollar brands. So, yeah, I mean, and, and no, no joke, the, the content you created, it's separate from the editorial, you know, team, but it is every bit as awesome and good. And as you would expect the quality of the storytelling, then you're, times you know voice and editorial narrative it's there it's and it, it isn't on its own right you 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 have won awards for the work that you do yeah, right yeah 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 and like you know we, you know before like we, we jumped on this call you had mentioned like Birkenstock the Birkenstock campaign and, and shout out to our international team brand team did a phenomenal job um on, and like if you look at their if you look at the deck from beginning to end and like the the in the conversations that were happening in order to land on the platform um, just a lot of work went into that and very small team to like their team is, is a lot, is a lot smaller than our creative team, right? Like our creative team now is finally fully stacked with, um, like, like creative direction. So like, there's just a lot more opportunity for a lot more work to happen, um, in that way. But yeah, it's, it's the dedication to the process and dedication to the work so that it feels seamless, you know, like there should be no difference with regards to like 
the actual content and, and how it looks, how it feels, the stories we're telling, then out of the newsroom. Like that's the goal. And I think, you know, a lot of the uh, people in our, our listener community are in a position where they, they are trying to lead sort of content creation initiatives in their organization, uh, big or small, uh, sometimes quite big. I guess from your perspective, you, you sort of run the, the team. What, how can you organize to best deliver, you know, the sort of quality content that at the New York Times level or to at least aspire to, to do that? Yeah. Uh, how do you organize your team around some of these campaigns and initiatives to, you know, make sure that the audio content's amazing, the display content equally amazing? Yeah. I think one thing I have to level set for folks is like, if you're working at the Times, you're working at T-Brain, you're probably surrounded by some of the smartest, most creative people in the business, right? Generally speaking. And so for me as a CD, my my job is not like, part of my job, yes, is to pull the best creative out of people, but I, I tend to lead with a very much empathetic, collaborative approach. Like I trust people to do their job. I trust that people are hired to do the thing that they do incredibly well. My job is to create safe spaces for that creativity to flourish. My job is to also create prompts and opportunities for folks to have conversations about this. Like, um, we literally, we had like offsite, like an offsite thing. And we were unfortunately talking about work very briefly, but the idea that, um, you know, like the first answer doesn't have to be the best answer. And sometimes it's not, how do we end yes, the shit out of everything, you know? Um, and then it's my job to be like, okay, let's, let's close that chapter and move on to the next thing. I'm making essentially the final decision when it comes to creative. And it's also requiring people to trust me and my guidance and my leadership. But a lot of that is putting people in positions to succeed, right? Making sure everyone is heard in the room from the salesperson to the strategist, like, like no one is short of a good idea. Good ideas can come from anywhere. I firmly believe that. I also do firmly believe everyone is creative. I also firmly believe there are people who are creatives, right? I think this is a, slight discernment that that is required in order to understand that a salesperson is not a creative they are creative but the label and role and title of a creative is very different there's a way that we're thinking about the work and for me thinking about the work in conjunction with the health of the studio and the health of your terms of advertising and the times and i think that's also part of the cd role like it's not just about the work how does that work affect the partnership with the client like and having to be mindful of that like this is not our goal at T-Brain is not to create like one-off content pieces. It's like we are trying to really build partnerships with the clients we work with. And so much of that is making sure we have, we, we allow, I allow my team to understand that when we're doing the work. And so sometimes it is, it, it's, it's poking and prodding, asking questions to have people dig a, a bit deeper, not just about the creative, but also the integrity of the work moving forward so that this thing that we're doing in year one is also going to potentially affect what's going to happen in year four or five. Right. And then making some decisions that take away from creative, like quickly, transparently, there was a, well, not too transparency, but like there was a big client that we were working with who had a relatively robust budget, pulled some budget away because Q4 was seemingly being very difficult and precarious for them. And they decided to go media. But the media team that in conversation with us was the most apologetic I've seen any media team be about having to like essentially say, we're moving away from custom content. And for me, I was like, thank you, A, for that. And then also too, this is a partnership. So this doesn't, I don't consider this a loss, right? And even how we're framing what is a success and a loss is important um, internally because if the client is deciding that they still want to work with the times through a media, through, through a media component and it doesn't involve custom creative, that's absolutely okay knowing that there's an opportunity for us to do that in year two. Like we're, we're building a partnership and partnerships take time. And sometimes you're not going to get all the things that you want in year one. It's no different than a marriage, right? Like 
if we're in this for the marathon of it, then that means there's a level of consistency, there's an ebb and flow. How do I help the team also navigate that, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really great perspective and obviously it's paying off. Um, how do you, in the same way that you kind of coach your team to go deeper and get more creative, do you also find that you have to simultaneously do that a little bit with the brands to get them to consider what it is you all are working on and and those those ideas that you're pushing forward that maybe are a little different than what they maybe were expecting in the upfront? Yeah, I mean, um, excellent question, Hannah. Absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of handholding and I think we look at handholding from like a childish point of view, but I think we're all big ass kids anyway. Like you can see, you'll you'll we see it in the arguments and the confrontations that happen in rooms where it's like people just projecting their biases and inner child shit. Like it, and for me, that's the like the thing that gets excited for me. And like I tell people, it being a CD, I think a great CD, it requires a level of like emotional intelligence, like real actual emotional intelligence to be able to help people navigate a room and also knowing what people's priorities are. You know, um, and knowing what people's passion points are, pain points are, and being aware of that I'm a studier of people, you know, and like, that's the best, most efficient way I think to get the best work out of people. And that is no different than on the client side. It's like, you've never done custom creative before. So then like, let's walk you through what that process looks like and make sure that it feels collaborative. Because at the end of the day, we need you to feel good about the $2 million that you're spending on this campaign. So you can hopefully spend 3.5 next year, you know, like, and that requires a little bit of like, okay, this is not. We're not getting what we're want, wanting maybe here, but here's how we can fix that. And I, I think there's a lot of negotiating too, you know, like, well, you wanted this very straightforward illustration. All right, cool. But can we bring some of this language that matters? It's like, we very easily can just get into this thing. It's like, oh man, I want to do this. I want the spaceship and, the, and the, the, the balloons and bombs. And it's like, all right, well, maybe we just get the balloons right now and the balloons are okay and the client is like we give you all this money and it's like i hear you but the, the thing that you're asking for is actually five million you're asking us to do it for one so there's going to be some concessions involved in that and having to walk people through that and then also having to be honest about what's possible from jump i think a lot of the times we can we can navigate those waters when we're very clear and intentional and the team our team is aligned you know with the direction moving forward. Like there are times when we're in a wholesale world where I have to kind of come in to not be the big bad wolf, but to make sure I'm defending my team's choice and creative and why we chose to go this route. And also having the client understand, like, listen, we want to continue to work with you. We, the reason where we're even in this point is because you came to us and you trusted us to help you navigate this world. And so we need you to continue to trust us knowing that we know very much what we're doing here, while also making sure like they feel good and feel safe. You know, clients are humans, and I think it's easy to forget that. Like, they have wants, they have needs, they have goals, they have business goals that exist outside of like your really fucking beautiful creative. Like, they're like they're thing. Like, and we get like we can't be too precious about that. There's like we're still in the business of business, and so having to juggle and balance that on both sides, you know, it's important. But it kind of sounds like you 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 sort of have to save space and create space for the client's needs. You also have to keep bear in mind and save space for what sort of readers and and the audience mm -hmm. demand or like what is is this going to meet their expectations mm -hmm. and then of course your team you advocate for them as well and it's sometimes fitting those three things together just managing those expectations is the hardest part of the work yeah yeah and, and i think people forget that it's like i i really do i'm, I'm this is not the accurate percentage but i think you know maybe like 70 percent of it is about the creative work 
And 30% of it is really about managing the personalities and relationships of the people who are doing the work, you know, and I, I feel very firmly that if people are not happy, they're not going to do their best work. And so it's a lot of it is like, even Danny, the conversation we had before we got on it, it's like, I just, I check in with people. Like, how's your heart? I keep tabs on people. Like, you know, if I know you went on vacation, then like, that's something I want to follow up on. Like, I want to talk about that stuff before we get to the work because a, a healthy employee creates a healthy, creative and creative environment, you know? And so not everyone gets what they want, but if people feel seen, if people feel heard, if people feel valued, you're going to get the best output, you know, and not to make it feel like a very capitalist approach to how we provide empathy. But I think at the end of the day, regardless of output, when people are ha happier, they just, they show up better, you know? And for me, that's the, that's the, that's the driving focus. And so how do we do that? How do we create systems that allow for that to happen, even in, in conflict and tension? Right. There can be some level of like empathy, enjoying compassion, but also making sure we're not losing sight of what of what the output is going to be for a client and for the team. How do you how do you um, think about pushing the envelope sometimes and, and testing and trying new things? Uh, maybe when a client's saying, hey, I don't I don't know if I want that or they didn't even ask for it. You're sort of you know thinking about a format or an idea or an approach. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you sort of. Um, push the envelope and, and protect the interests of everyone, all those, those different audiences, your team, mm -hmm. the, obviously the client, the readers yeah. and so forth. Um, great, great question, Daniel. I think listening is probably the most important part uh, in that conversation in context. And, and, and I say context because there has to be a level of understanding of the history between the client and the client partner. Right. And so we can't do that with every client. Like, there's going to be some clients like in, you know, you hear from a, from an account person or a sales team, like, we know this client, we know what they want. They've been doing And, and like the question, the, 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 the kind of um, response for me for that is like, okay, but what they wanted last year might not be the same than what they want now. What they wanted two days ago, you know, like quick story, Elizabeth Gilbert. And um, I think it was in big magic. She talks about, um, she had submitted some essay. Uh, to this publication she was a super big fan of. The essay wound up being in one of her books later. But the person, um, I can't remember if they responded. I think they did respond, but they responded in a way that was like, it, it, it didn't, it just wasn't the right fit. They weren't really sure about it, whatever, whatever. Fast forward, that same person reads the essay in the book and is just showering her with praise, right? And Elizabeth could have been like, oh, well, you was, you was hating before. Now look at you. Yeah, you all up on me. And as opposed to that, she was more like, you just don't know the context in which people are showing up when they receive the work. Could have had a bad day. Like there's so many other things that affect how people see and appreciate and respond to the work. And so part, a big part of that conversation and navigating that is also having to reconcile that. Like when we're building our creative, it's like, not everyone, not everyone is going to see the merit in a thing at the time. But if we're understanding the context of the relationship, sometimes you can say, you know, there's room to try something. And so the client will tell you that. It will like, yo, listen, we really want to, want you to try something new. And when a client doesn't say that, I think a lot of this goes back to listening. I, I, I like to ask the sales team, like, I want to see your notes. Not just, not just the RFP that the strategy team has built out, not just the RFP the team has given us, but like, if I'm not privy to that conversation, what did you hear them say? that maybe doesn't live on the paper. And cause like, I'm the person that's gonna be able to read in between the lines of like, I think actually what they're asking for is this, or like, it's not the right time. How big is the budget, right? You know, for, for those who might be making, moving in smaller scale budgets, a client coming to us at 350,000 is not the most risky adventure, 
But like, if you're giving us 2.53, let's blow it out the water. What can we do? You know, we're currently right now in the throes of that work where it's like, okay, maybe we can make a thing. Like, what is that thing that we're going to make that the client seems excited about? The client told us they wanted this thing specifically. Have we ever done this thing in the studio? No. Can we try it? Sure. Is it going to be stressful? Yes. But the idea is the client asked for it, So why not go on this adventure together and see if we can make it happen? You know? Not to ask you to choose your favorite children, which is never a fair question to ask, but you've you've had so many truly award-winning campaigns uh, and, and projects. I guess instead of your favorite ones, I, I uh, talk to us about some of the favorite components of some of those different things. Maybe a format you tried, you're like, I can't say we'll do that in everything, but that was amazing. It just worked way better than I thought. Yeah. Uh, so there's been there's just so much it's it's difficult to look at the body of work and you know not love all of it yeah yeah but but you know i can there's one in particular there was a um there was a and we've done work with ancestry before ancestry.com and there was a pitch that we didn't win actually um i actually think box won the work but it's still celebrated by the ancestry team like they and part of it was because there was such an emotional tie-in um, to how we presented the work. I'm really proud about how we presented the work. And for me, that's my favorite part of of this experience. Always it's getting, it's being client facing and being able to actually tell the story and walk a person through the deck, through our thinking, through our ideation. Um, because then that's where the conversation happens. And that's when I, you know, I can get on my soapbox and, and, and wax poetic about why this matters within context of, there's not, there's only but so much you can put on a slide. Right, that's really going to speak to the, the 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 emotional texture of the work, um, but that one in particular was just really beautiful to me because we we had we pitched something that was going to be difficult to do that we had never done, but it felt like that was the approach that the client was asking for. So it was like, here are the ways that we imagine this coming to life based on what the ask is, and it really challenged the team to think outside of what we are accustomed to doing, you know. And to me, that's the most important thing is like, how are we challenging each other? How are we challenging ourselves in the work? I think also too, there was some some work that's live now. Um, well, it's not live anymore, but we had done some work with Lincoln, um, Lincoln Futures. Um, and it was one of the first showcases of this new product that that, that we had developed within T-Brand, like an interactive slideshow that um, started as a completely different product um, at T-Brand. But because we were working with Lincoln Futures and there was an experience that they were working on internally, and we were like, well, the product we had pitched to them Actually, what, what would it look like to merge the two and to create this thing that the client was really excited about? And now has become a product that the team likes to lean into when we're trying to do something, A, engaging and interactive, but also can live in stream. We can be traffic, pulls traffic drivers from, but also too, it's it's a, what we would call like short content. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 and being a part of that push um, and seeing that process from beginning to end was really cool. You know, because like that was like a year some change project. We had our one of our salespersons was I think his wife wasn't was his wife pregnant. Basically, by the time he he had left on paternity leave, his wife got pre- like before his wife got pregnant, came back. But by the time he came back, it was it was that the product was out in the world. It was like literally like a year and some change. Like you know, I had a baby, did the baby thing, came back with the baby. You know, it was like wow, okay, this is like we can gauge the time. I think those two really stand stand out to me. Um, yeah, I think there's something so interesting in what you said, and I think when you work in a creative space, you kind of get this. But like, some of we, what we think our best work is never actually gets made, 
we learn a lot of lessons by doing things that mm. fail. I'm curious, like how you think about failure, how you think about like those learnings that you're getting. You just framed it up really nicely to say like, yeah, this work didn't get made, but like it was still incredible work and everyone still thinks about it in this great light, um, which I think is a unique way of looking at something. So yeah, just curious how you think about failure. Yeah, I mean, no, and thank you for that. And I, I you know, failure exists, it's real. Um, I, I think what I like to focus on more than anything is how to define success, right? And is success selling in the project? Absolutely, sure. But I don't, if the if the success in the selling in for project is at the behest of the, of the health of the studio, I don't necessarily know success in my personal. Not everything that we sell in, while it benefits the business, right? I don't necessarily know if it benefits the culture um, of a studio or of an agency. And I think that's something I, I really want, I mean, our studio to be more mindful of. I want all content um, agencies and content creators to be mindful of. Like, you know, we have to keep the lights on. It's just the nature of the business. How mindful can we be about what is going to benefit the health of, of the agency of the studio because retention is important I think you know and like where's the and I don't like the word balance but harmony is, is a word that comes to mind to me because I do think while balance is a word that we tend to use I think sometimes overuse I don't think there's any such thing as real life work-life balance I also think balance makes me think of scale so there's there's a lopsided nature to, to, to balance that can make you feel imbalanced and also guilty and shameful where harmony for me is like we could be operating at a, at a in a space where people are hundred percent, 110% when it comes to allocations, but feels harmonious because we're doing work that matters, we're doing work that has impact. People love the work that they're doing and the colleagues are fucking jazzed about it. That to me is harmony. Like even when it feels imbalanced, we can still be harmonious and I think that distinction is important. And so for me, it's the fail. The failures are like, if I didn't learn from the experience, like um, Mr. Moody, my old drama teacher, um, one of my drama teachers in high school, he used, to, he used to ask us, it's the same question I asked my daughter now after she leaves school. It's like, what did you learn today? And what Mr. Moody would say is like, if you can't remember that, you aren't paying attention. And so for me, that's kind of just been the rhetoric I always use. Like it just plays in my head because I never thought of it that way before. And so, you know, like we might, so we might, again, like Ancestry as an example, we didn't win that pitch, but every single time there's an RFP, Ancestry reaches out and someone goes, Joel, again, we love working with y'all creatively. That's normally how they kick off the conversation. And it's because we cemented in them the ways that we approach work do work and want to work that to me is a, is a win regardless of whether there's a dollar amount attached to it or not yeah i mean i think that it's hard to relay that work ethic to someone just with words so when you get to show that to someone yeah i think it's just an incredible opportunity to cement that i like what you just said about harmony and a lot of what you have to do i think with your clients is balance like what's currently going on in the world and where they fit in and what story they need to tell um, in that context. How do you sort of find the harmony between creativity and current events and making sure that those all blend together for your clients? You know, another great question. You know, it, not everyone is well-versed to speak on it. Not everyone should be speaking on it. Something that's been coming up a lot as of late is like selective outrage, right? Like I've been seeing the phrase you know, like, why are you speaking out of one thing, but you weren't speaking about, about this? And I'm like, and what I have to frame for people is this is, we are at a time in history that is unprecedented. Like, 
absolute access we have to social media allows us to gain information and news at a speed and efficiency that is unheard of. There is outrage about everything because there is everything to be outraged about. And so to be able to hold space to talk about everything is impossible. So I don't think necessarily is selective. There are people who, there are people, there are brands or organizations. Ben and Jerry's has cemented themselves as a social justice platform that also sells. Patagonia has cemented themselves as a wildlife ambassador, like also this very much social justice centered, but also they sell really great outdoor gear. Like they can speak in those spaces because they've done the work to show up in those spaces. You know, like when, when I think about Budweiser, I think about beer. I want Budweiser to internally be more mindful about how they're having conversations about LGBTQIA communities. Like it needs to happen. Does it make sense for you to speak about this, about trans issues in this way? Maybe not because you haven't done the work internally that's going to allow you to navigate those waters. Nike for all its internal strife. At the end of the day, though, like they've kind of been loud when it comes to who they're celebrating, who they're touting, right? Like who they're supporting actively. And sometimes you have to start somewhere, right? Like. And I think that's where people get confused. Like, why are you saying something now? Well, maybe you had a, you, you woke up. That's cool. Like, but then you actually have to follow it up with, you know, work. Like if you're deciding I'm going to, I'm going to say something and, and I'm going to jump into the fray of whatever conversation, whether it be, whether it be police violence, whether it be Israel and Palestine, whatever the case is, like you have to be prepared also to do the work that follows the moment. Cause the black square thing is not what's going to be popping. Like. We see it, we saw it in 2020, people were outraged. Like, oh my God, George Floyd, I can't believe it. Put up a black square, we, we, we're gonna put a whole bunch of money in DEI, and then 2023 comes and it's like, it's like tumbleweeds. Because we haven't reconciled the fact that there's a level of subconscious excitement when, when globally the collective is speaking to something. And a brand goes, oh wait, wait a minute. Gen, I see Gen Z is talking about this. It's better, let's put our water bottles in this conversation. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, 2023, like, I don't need a water bottle. I need you. I need, I need healthcare. I need like, how are you showing up in community for the thing? And I think that's fortunate. We haven't had a brand that I think has really come to us and said, we want to talk about this issue. It's like, you're doing nothing internally that would allow you to even feel comfortable speaking to that issue. And I think if that was the case, and I think that's the framework, what are you doing internally first to protect yourself? So that you are ensuring that when you have this conversation hourly, you can either say, we are not doing the work and we're trying to, or we're doing the work and here are the receipts, you know? I feel like that's just a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> we, could, we could end this. I mean, uh, every, every everything you just said is such a, a beautiful way of framing uh, how we approach. You know, there's there's a time to be quiet, I think, as brands. Just, just shut up and be quiet for five minutes yeah. and and let this but let this moment you know be a, be its own thing yeah, and, and, and really and like i love the way you framed that in because i think the second part of that is the sharp and it also listen because if you really care about the work and the integrity of the work then you're going to listen to what people are saying and it's going to help you actually navigate the conversation have the conversation in your halls invite the people who are leading the conversation at the forefront and have and have something that feels impactful because the learnings that you pull from that is a case study it's going to influence the work. Like if we want to look at this strictly through the lens of work, just listen. Listening is the most active form of communication we can do. Yep. And at this point uh, on this episode, I think everyone listening to the episode should know that you have a lot to say and a, a, a beautiful way of saying it. So um, where 
can we could go for hours but i don't think that's fair to you and <laughs> we uh we to ask that oh great this is great that we will we'll, we will take you up on that um but in the meantime where where can listeners go connect with you and and just kind of hear what you're you know what's on your mind yeah um you can find me i am joel j-o-e-l leon l-e-o-n on instagram um slowly finally building up my website primarily because my um, I'm making my major publishing debut next year, June 2024. Uh, uh, my collection of essays, Everything and Nothing at Once, a Black Men's Reimagined Soundtrack for the Future, um, published by Halt McMillan. Um, so like all that to say that the website is just not just my link tree is is my is my bio right on Instagram. But find me there talking about a wealth of issues, affirmations, uh, activism, you know, like I, I have a big mouth. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you have a lot to say, and and like I said, I think just a beautiful way of, of saying it. So that there's a book involved, we didn't even know that, and I'm not saying <laughs> so. We we why why don't we plan to have you back uh, around around the book and uh, and and talk about all of that. So that's great. Uh, congratulations. Well, please please do go follow Joel. Uh, like I said, just so much uh, so much to share and and really good context for. Uh, things kind of grounding you in the work that we do. Um, before we let you go, Joel, uh, as you know, we ask everyone the final two questions. I'm very curious and very eager for your answers. If you feel ready, yeah. I've got the first one. I'm ready. Let's do it, Dave. do it. Ready. All right. All right. Uh, if you could give a piece of advice to anyone crazy enough to want to work in social media as a professional, what would it be? Trust yourself. Um, and I'll try not to get emotional. But it's like, I spent a lot of years as a black man who has a high school diploma, spent two years of college, left, worked in social services for nine years before pivoting to advertising because to be frank and transparent, I was broke. I needed a, I needed something I was going to provide for my family and I had a daughter coming. And it was like, well, I've been building my brand on social and I'm writing essays. Okay. I know I understand social media and I understand writing social media manager is like the best way to um, But I spent a lot of times feeling like I was not good enough as a creative, but I knew I knew something. Like, I'm like, it's like, I'm seeing the proof, right? People are responding to the ways that I show up. And so I, I just want folks to trust themselves, especially folks that are coming from communities that tend to be marginalized. So if you are a woman, if you are a disabled woman, if you are a disabled man, if you are a trans man, trans woman, are you a queer person? Are you like, it is very easy for systems and, and systemic issues to make you feel like your worth and value and merit are not good enough based on how you show up in the workplace, right? If you're if you're too skinny, if you're too fat, if you're not if you're not all the things that are presenting themselves to be like the adequate professional and the adequate creative, and it's like, but you know, you know very deeply and inherently that you have a gift to do a thing, and it's been confirmed for you, it's been affirmed for you. You get to trust that. And you don't have to let powers that be who are sometimes outdated, who are not in touch with the reality of the world that is happening around them, keeping you from moving forward in that direction. Perfect advice. I mean, it's it's so true. And I know that there will be people listening to this episode that needed that and can take it to heart. So I hope so. I hope just so. great. Um, okay, second question. If you could have a video call with any living person. What would it be? Man, you know, I said I thought about this question and it's so like, um, oh, but you know what? If I could have one call, it's not even any party. You said, wait, remind me, in, in this profession specifically? No, anybody living anywhere. Because I mean, it's not really that tough. Because I mean, 
Andre 3000 um, from Outcast. Like, I was going to Donald Glover a little bit, but it's like, nah, like, if I could sit with anybody, I think it would be Andre. Like, there is a, what, can I, I'm cheating here, but like, actually, no, Andre, there's a humbleness to his character that I think is important. And like, he just does what he wants to do. You know, like the brothers out here playing the flute. People see him in, in Soho. People see him in Japan. You know, but he's also one of he's part of considered considerably one of the greatest rap duos of all time, of all time. And yet he's made a choice to kind of pull away from this and just be himself. And that to me is magical. It's, it's something that I wish more of us felt enabled to do. Like how how honest and transparent and vulnerable can we be with each other? And again, I that makes better work. You know, that makes the best work. We can all just sit in front of each other and say like, Lauren Hill and Unplugged CD volume two, she says something like, um, you know, like she like lifting her shirt and someone being like, oh, you have a belly button too. And to me, that's the, that's, that's how we keep the work, you know, moving forward. If you haven't heard this Rick Rubin conversation, another, like it's, it's so, it's so grippingly honest. Rick is asking some really great questions, but it's just like him just being transparent about similar to your point and like this process. And then also like where he's at now, like losing his mother and what that meant. And, you know, it's 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 the things to me that matter when it comes to art. Like my favorite artists are the people who just make art and take time making art. So sometimes that means you're five, six, seven, eight years out from another album. And it's not because you're making it for consumption and consumerism, but you're making things from a very organic, intentional place. You know, and that's the goal for me across the board. Well, I think that you are achieving a lot of that. Um, <laughs> and I think it's been, it's fun for all of us to get to watch um and we just so appreciate you taking some time to spend with us today um this was a great conversation and we can't wait to have you back to talk about your book (laughs) (laughs) uh social pros listeners uh thank you for joining us once again for another episode of what we hope is your favorite podcast social pros